0: i say good morning.
1: morning. It's summer, isn't it? It feels like summer.
0: I haven't said Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's
1: Day.
0: Well, it's time to start a new book. And we're going to find out what God is saying to us. That's always a good thing to do, isn't it? What has God got in mind? Um... We came up with Second Corinthians. That's what we're gonna do. And that's what we will be expositing in And this book It's going to give us a real intimate view of Paul. We get to see the inward Paul like we see him in no other book. He actually reveals himself, his character, throughout Second Corinthians. So it's like he just peels back anything that is keeping us from knowing Paul, and he just shines through with his character as he addresses the Corinthians. And believe me, this is one of the most troubled churches of the early church, if you remember Corinth. Uh, he's going to show his human weaknesses, he's going to show his humility in this book, his inadequacy and his passion for the spiritual growth of the flock. He's really driven by that. 2 Corinthians is also it's chock full of theological truth. Theology is definitely there. and The New Covenant is stressed in a little section in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's done no better except for maybe in Hebrews dealing with the New Covenant. There's the doctrine of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians just in a little section and it gives a most profound summary of of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ and how we've been reconciled to Him. Uh, there's also a section that deals with what happens after we die as Christians. You know What happens with us. And so that will be good to get into. Uh, if we were to drop back in chapter 4, it shines through as it talks about the gospel of the glory of God. The good news of the glory of God. Isn't that great? Also in that chapter, it talks about Satan and how he mind, or blinds the minds of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the glory of God. Second Corinthians four. Be dealing with that. It's a very practical book. Paul is really wanting to see them develop spiritually. Sanctification is definitely uh, very driven in this book. It instructs us about suffering and the comfort that God gives us. What kind of comfort is that? He's a God of all comfort. That's good to know, isn't it? So, as we go through this book, it's my prayer that we be blessed, that we be edified, that we would grow in our spiritual lives. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's that's what we want out of this book. I can guarantee you, God has it there. It's just a, do we want that? Do we want that? If we really want it. Uh, most of the message this morning is uh, going to be spent on the introduction. That's about the city of Corinth, the church that was there. What is the book about? And of course, when you get into a book, anytime you start reading a book, it's good to ask who, what, when, where, how, why. Right? And that's good to do. Matter of fact, as you go through the book, remember those who, what, when, where, why, how. Just kind of remember those as you read through and it helps you. That's to do with any book. That's a little secret of how to read the Bible. Because then you first see it in the light of the context that it was written and who it was written to. And then it starts to be be clear. And then when you get that, then you can look at it and then say, okay, now how does this apply to me? Where is this at? But First get the context of that, this setting for this epistle. Uh, We need the background and that's what we will do most of the time. We will try to get into the first three verses also, which is an introduction really to that letter, but this should help us as we get into the depth of 2 Corinthians. If we have this background, a backdrop to rely upon as we move through the book, And it will be some time because I believe we have 13 chapters there. That will take a while. Uh, We'll try to get into the first three verses, as as I said. And so what we want to do is get started in another divinely inspired letter, a love letter written to you from God. What do you think of that? That's exactly what this is. It's a book written by Him so that we would grow in His grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ let's pray Father you are the Holy God Paul recognized that as he wrote this letter he recognized it always and God is a God who cares about his people and he has people who care about people and of course Christians should be caring about other Christians That's what Paul exhibits all throughout as he wanted them to grow stronger in the Lord. And may we be a church that honors You by Your Word, by the power of the Spirit, by Your grace, for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, when you have an introduction of a book, that was an introduction to the introduction, okay? (laughs) When you have an introduction... You've got to ask, okay, who are these people that he's writing to? First of all, they are people that are the church. Oh, where are they at? They're in the city of Corinth, of course, the second Corinthians. There's quite a history. So it's good to know a little bit of background. So I didn't know I was going to get a history lesson. But if you know that, it will help you see how the people are at that time. And then you can see where we're at in our times And things haven't really changed, as Ecclesiastes says. We uh, first take note of uh, Corinth all the way back to 146 B.C. It was actually invaded by a Roman army, got defeated, trounced upon, and it uh, had to be rebuilt. um, Whenever... Corinth was rebuilt it actually became a very prosperous city a very large city a port city and it actually became one of Rome's or the Roman Empire most notable centers for banking finance it had political significance as it uh, was the capital of the province of Achaia that's that whole area that it was from Uh, all the way until A.D. 15. It became an imperial province then. And so it was widely known. Uh, You think, we have the Olympian uh, Games this year, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they had their games, and it was second to the Olympics. It was called the Isthmian Games. It was on that isthmus, and uh, they were known for that. So it was second only to the Olympics. Pretty big deal. It was regarded as the third most important city in the Roman Empire. That should say something. You have Rome, then you have Alexandria, and then Corinth. In all the world, those are the three most influential cities. Corinth was very influential. Do you see why God sent Paul to Corinth? and then it expanded on out from there. There were churches all around that that area of Corinth. But a very key place. And that's usually where Paul would be sent, to the major cities. He didn't have time to stop off at every little town and village. But he'd go to the cities, set up as he'd go into the synagogue, and sometimes get kicked out of the synagogue, and then set up a church, plant a church in that city. And many of the Jews who became Christians then would continue on and then they would carry it on out to their relatives and friends and other smaller cities. And so that's that's what was happening. What kind of character is Corinth? I think we all kind of have an idea. Um, in the first century had a population of over 200,000 people and believe me at that time that was a large city. Very much so. It was uh, termed as a A wide open boom town. It just kept growing. You know, you think of San Francisco, and you have the Gold Rush back in the 1800s. The 1849ers football. (laughs) No, that was for gold, and it just grew to tremendous population there in those areas. Uh, There were two harbors that Corinth had. One on one side, one on the other and that's what's very instrumental in this because if a ship was, would be traveling they would have to if they didn't have this area here in this harbor and then to get into the other sea they would have a long long dangerous journey down to the tip of that land and then back around to hit into the other sea so this is really why, one of the reasons why it's so important because ships could stop sell off all their goods what they were taking had been bringing sell it to that area get it off there then they could roll it all the way to the other side buy the, the goods that they needed there as they went on in their journey so they would often do that so you see the commerce that was possible there a great setting for it isn't it two harbors quite a commercial center there in southern Greece. Sailors, merchants, from every city and province all over the world that traveled. Every race and religion was there. Take the gospel to all the world. Sometimes when you go to certain areas, it's representing all sorts of different people groups. You know, I say races. There's really only one race. It's a race that came from Adam. (laughs) regardless of any where people are located or what language they speak or what color they are we're really one race and but it's kind of neat to see them come together representing the whole world in one little city and you know what the church is to do that i my dream is is that we would get all sorts of different people groups that represents what the world is and it's like going to all the world, right? As we deliver the gospel, we should desire that. That's what we're expected to do. But so, you know, very cosmopolitan in its nature, it was. Uh, it became notorious for luxurious and debauched living. <laughs> this is the city of depravity that was seen so easily, almost. All pagan identities were there. All sorts of different deities that they represented. And archaeologists have discovered, as time goes on, they keep discovering these things, temples that were devoted to Neptune, not the planet. I think the planet got its name from this false god. Apollo. I think we had an aircraft (laughs) <laughs> they went into space, called Apollo, didn't we? Interesting. Venus, Octavia, asepius Demeter, Kor, and Poseidon. Remember the Poseidon adventure? All of these are representing the the deities, and they were they were there in this city. Just a tremendous amount of them. Uh, they had the chief shrine that was the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, Greek goddess of love, life. There was as, there were as many as uh, one thousand temple prostitutes in that religion, and so prostitutes were there. They really conducted business. Can you imagine that? Sexual perversion and immorality all the way to the top. Represented what the world could be at its worst <laughs> as far as morality. So, you can't even conceive of some of the things that they did. But yet in our time with all the aspects of technology, we probably can perceive of that, but we sh- we don't desire that, do we? The luxury, the vice of Corinthian living. And it's kind of interesting. They had a word that was... that was really it was Corinthianized. to Corinthianize was it meant to fornicate and so it was coined there it was kind of an infamous sign of the wealth and immorality that was at this place so if one was a Corinthianizer they would know oh you're from Corinth huh and they would have an automatic thought in their minds what these people were but This is a place, with all that said, here's where we're really aiming at. It's where you see the grace of God come shining in. The Apostle Paul breaks in and delivers the gospel. And that's all he gave (laughs) them. The truth of the gospel, of the glory of God. The resurrected Jesus Christ. And that you can be saved out of this immorality and debauched kind of living the grace of God appeared in Corinth. Now, do you see what that background and all of a sudden with so black of a background comes shining forth the grace of God. Wow. Relief for that place. The church. Among other things, archaeologists keep discovering Other things, they had clay representations of human genitals that were offered to Assepius. He was the god of healing because they had venereal diseases there running rampant. All sorts of sexual diseases. Have you ever heard of those? I'm sure they had AIDS. They just didn't call it that back then. Same thing. But they would have this god of healing that was to heal that. Anyway, kind of get a background of this city and its character, its nature. Wealth, commerce, money. Low, low, immorality. I mean, just immorality to the pits. So, set into that kind of situation is the church at Corinth. You have people coming from these backgrounds that become changed. Amazing. All the different backgrounds they came from. These centers. Church in Corinth was largely made up of Gentiles. Not too many Jews there. Uh, most of the ones that were in the church came from the lower class, the lower economic kind of ladder that you hear about. They're on the lowest rung for the most part. That was the church. Uh, Gordon Fee noted this. Oh, they were the Christian church in Corinth. An inordinate amount of Corinth was yet in them. Emerging in a number of attitudes and behaviors that required radical surgery without killing the patient. (laughs) Both of Paul's canonical letters, I say canonical because he wrote other letters, they weren't inspired. These two are, but they were attempts to make sure that people were on track. And a lot of it involved their immorality and what some of them were being involved with or what they would do about that. Paul's relationship to these Corinthians was a long and tempestuous relationship. What's the occasion for the writing this? What we're going to do is we're going to sum this up briefly. Look at the circumstances behind this epistle. Just kind of follow clearly because you get this foundation. You're going to be able to interpret this book as you read along it for yourself and be able to hear it clearly as we proclaim it. God used Paul to plant the church in Corinth, what a privilege to go to such a wicked evil immoral city and start a church there why would you want to go there
1: <laughs>
0: that's where God sent him he's an apostle he was sent by God to go there he had no other choice Matter of fact, he tells that later in 1 Corinthians. I think that's chapter 9, actually. Uh, but he says that that uh, he was to be all things to all people in the way that, of course, it's all bound by God's Word. He doesn't let certain customs, but I mean, it's not that he's going to get hung up on those or he's going to go in, into sin, but he is talking about whatever the people, whatever I can do so I can reach them and still stay honoring to God. That's what I want to do. So he brought it to them and he brought nothing but the truth to them. Eighteen months of intense teaching every day, a year and a half, Paul taught there day after day, after day after day year and a half, day after day, really isn't a whole lot when you think about it because there's a lot to cover. Old Testament, showing the Messiah, how He fulfills all that. And then as He speaks, and He could draw from some of the things that He had written and any other kind of letters, or maybe God gave Him some things that they'd never heard of before. He's an apostle. Of course, He writes Scripture. God reveals it to Him. So what an impact that he made as he taught, he affected them and they did become stronger and a moving type church. At the end of the 18 months he had to move on. He went east to Syria. (laughs) And you hear about Syria in the news today, don't you? Is that where some of the refugees are coming into this country? Kind of amazing that would happen. But it could be a missionary opportunity too. So you have to look at things in the light of the gospel. I'm not in favor of people coming in illegally. I don't think that's wise for a nation. But yet at the same time, we have to use whatever God ordains, good or bad, that we can still see that the gospel needs to be delivered to these people of different religions because we and we alone have the truth. They don't. That's how narrow Christianity is. Jesus said, I am the way. Truth. No man comes to the Father but through me. We cannot side with Islam in any manner or form. And now I'm seeing major denominations that are now lining up. A matter of fact, I couldn't believe it. But I read the other day at the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention. There was one church in the Southern Baptist Convention actually helping the Muslims build a mosque right here in the United States. That's not some kind of a little wayfarer type church. We're talking about a church that comes from actually good roots at one time and there are other denominations doing the same thing. Yeah, we are to love them. We are to give them the gospel. But we don't go around helping them build their mosque that build up Islam here in this country. Not wisdom it doesn't come from God. Anyway, as he was going back to Syria, At some point, news came to him from the Corinthian church. Somebody told him. And he was hearing about the immorality in the church. Of course it's in Corinth, but it's in the church. It wasn't being dealt with by the church called church discipline. When something is so simple as that, it has to be done with. It's not that you turn a deaf ear and act like it doesn't happen or say, oh, it's okay. That's just the way he is. Or mm-hmm. She is. Right? He wrote him a letter. It's not the Second Corinthians here. He wrote him a letter and it dealt specifically with immorality, how to deal with it in the church, what they were supposed to do about it. It was not inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It's not. That's not saying that. Oh, God didn't recognize what Paul was saying. It's just not put in the canon of books that we have. That's in the Bible, but it was very good, wisdom wise. Uh, it's lost to us today. We don't have that letter. We can't go back in and, and read it. But there was rampant immorality in that city. They Corinthianized there. It was a vile and wicked place. And it doesn't shock us that this kind of thing would be actually coming up in the church. The church is having a battle. Pervasive. How pervasive it was. Doesn't shock him. But he receives, he gives that letter, and then he receives a letter from the Corinthians themselves. And they actually wrote to him. Can you imagine that? Corinthians wrote to Paul according to chapter 7, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and apparently, they hadn't really dealt with the situation there with that issue. And so, Paul sends Timothy. Now I'm getting a lot of this information just inside from our scriptures in, in the Corinthians letters that are, that are inspired. There that, that were letters written that we don't see, we can't, can't read. But it really reflected the character of the Apostle Paul, the priorities of him. He was compelled by the Spirit of God then, and he wrote another letter. And then there was the letter that was 1 Corinthians. And that's where you see that this is an inspired letter. It's in our Bibles. And, of course, he not only talked about immorality, but he also talked about uh, false teachers... and tearing down Paul's character, uh, all the affliction and, and the anguish, everything is in his heart. Um, anyway, he was still concerned about them. Titus comes to Paul then, gives him the good news that they received the letter, and things were good. Things were taken care of. Things are happening in the Corinthian church. It was good news. They had repented. Repented with a godly sorrow. Do you remember that text in Corinthians? It's a chapter seven, isn't it? That's why, having heard from Titus, he now writes that Ah, uh, Second Corinthians. Does that help? I went to all that length to say, okay, he's written these letters. He's concerned about them. What's going on in the church? He hears the good news coming from Titus and. Here is this letter now fitting in with what's been going on when Paul was away. So it starts with joy, praise, thanksgiving. The majority had repented. It's good. It's a good thing. He he rejoiced over that. But Paul was also very wise. He knows the battle that the church is going to have where it's at. And there's false teaching that is coming in to the church, and they're telling some things about Paul, oh that Paul huh, yeah, he thinks he's an apostle, comes in here delivering all this. that guy is not an apostle he 's nothing. they claim that they were the apostles, they had the truth, and that's what's coming into the flock, folks. <laughs> They had the truth. He had been there a year and a half. They knew truth. And now he's really concerned about that. He's very wise. He knows what will happen. Jesus warns of it. Paul warns of it. Peter warns of it. John warns of it. seems like every book in the New Testament talks about false teaching. Well, that doesn't apply to us today.
1: <laughs>
0: Boy, is there some false teaching going on out there. Really, sometimes it's not so much what they teach, it's what they don't teach. They just give what's comfortable and what is something that is really upbeat that people want to hear. Itching ears. Paul wrote Timothy about that kind of thing, didn't he? So the false teachers are still there; they're hanging around. He's concerned. When was this written? When when did Paul do this? When in time was it? Can we put it on a calendar? Well, we can pretty be uh, pretty well be sure when it was written. Isn't that interesting? You can see these letters, these epistles; <laughs> they are historic. They have the witness stamped all over them. Of course, no problem with who wrote this. Paul wrote it. He says he wrote it. And all the way through there, it identifies with the style that he wrote with. We have no argument. And usually people don't argue that one. And when it was written, it's real. And it talks about certain places, certain times where there were uh, consuls and different kings and such and so the Bible is true and it's being proven more and more historically by all the things they dig up they find out more and more that the Bible archaeologically is true yes this person existed at this time yes this was going on at this time you know you think of the book of Acts and how accurate Luke was when he pinned that book down And it gets us excited because if you were to think about that was written 2,000 years ago it's been handed down. How do we know that's really true? And then (laughs) the Bible just proves itself in the Scripture itself. That's not good enough. It's interesting to read secular sources and they wind up backing the Bible up whether they know it or not. Don't you like that? Mm -hmm. It was written... Well, there was an inscription according to Delphi. In Delphi, there were the, the oracles. Galio, which was one who took an office in July... July, that, that's in their... in, in ancient history, or, or in that history, they have this down. It was July A.D. 51. <laughs> okay, that shows that this just didn't come out of where You know what uh, the, the Mormons do? They have a book about this world this that people came to and such and and none of those places you can find it's just some kind of just legend you know that was came out of the mind of Joseph Smith and archaeology never finds any of those things places people it's just lies to be on par with scripture if they have lies in their Bible and they have one, then you can say, false, they're a cult, get rid of them. I will have no part with that. Right? We have truth. Gallio took office. Paul was on trial before Gallio, And it wasn't too long after Gallio had been sworn in to office. Then Paul went to Israel. And then he went, he had been in Ephesus, went to Israel. He returned to Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And that's where he ministered for two and a half years. Remember Ephesus? Remember how great that church was? Then he wrote 1 Corinthians. There, toward the end of his stay, right there in Ephesus. That's where he wrote it at. Near the end of that stay, it's most likely in AD 55. We know that. Historically, that is very close. Kind of nice to know. You can say, well, what difference is 90 AD, 55 AD, or whatever. It just shows that this is real, it was written at that time. Paul planned to leave Ephesus after the Feast of Pentecost, and more than likely that was in the spring of A.D. 56. So that's why it's been brought down to the point it's probably in A.D. 55. He went to Macedonia. He had written 2 Corinthians uh, later uh, in that that year. Okay, let's go into the text. Would you guys like to do that? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse... One, open our Bibles. I would love to say that. Let's open our Bibles. All of a sudden, here the pages. Great time for a water break, don't you think? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You guys surviving out there? Is it is it hot? Yeah, not too bad. it's It's not 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 too hot. It's good. Okay. Paul was not his own. Here's why. What's the first word? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus Mm -hmm. by the will of God. Mm -hmm. And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. (laughs) Don't you like that? There's a church in that evil city. Yes, because everybody's evil. There's a church in evil Jeff City. The, and, and I mean a lot of church churches but the body of Christ is in Jeff City. With all the saints who are in throughout Achaia that whole provincial area grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, of mercies, and God of all comfort. All right. <laughs> it's a great section. Really good. And you always say, well, what? It's just, it's just an introduction. Well, <laughs> it's got a lot there, doesn't it? Paul an Apostle. The apostleship of Paul. Paul was not his own. He was called by God. He belonged to Christ. God is his Lord. God rules over him. You say, boy, that, I don't know if I like that or not. God rules over him. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus rules over me. And I say, Amen. That's what we want. We don't want to be the Lord of our lives, do we? But that's what most people are. We want God to rule us. He rules. The apostle. He uh, recognizes that God sent him out to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Wherever that be. He never backed off the fact that he was an apostle. Many letters start with that. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Sometimes he will say, Paul, a slave of Christ. He knows who owns him. We're bought with a price. He owns us. He made us. When he reconciled us to him, he took over lordship for life. I love that. Because tennis here can really fail all over the place. But God is the one who rules in my life. No longer do I. Turn to Acts 26. Right near the end of the book of Acts. Chapter 26. Verse 15, this is when he's knocked off his horse to the ground, into the dirt. And I said, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know him. That's right. He hated him. He hated Jesus Christ before. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting when you persecute the church, who are you really persecuting? Paul saw you were persecuting me. Get up. Stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan. See, that's what, where people really are wrong. They think they're ruling their lives. They're the Lord of their own lives. They have a Lord. His name is Satan. And it turn, will turn from darkness, light, and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Not They're going to be forgiven. I mean, that right there is good enough, right? Well, not to God. He says, I'm not not only going to forgive them. Look at this. I'm going to give them an inheritance according to His riches. Wow. I think that says a lot that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's what we are to proclaim. You know, we sit here this morning and we think about what God has done for us. Think about it. We are proclaiming. When we give the gospel out, we are proclaiming that people can be forgiven of their sins. What a message we have to herald, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? Paul was specifically pulled out of what he was doing, and God made him an apostle. He said, Get up! He knocks him off the horse, blinds him, and he says, Get up! <laughs> Stand on your feet. I've, I've appeared to you to point you a, a witness, a minister, a servant. Wow. Not only to what you just saw, and he tells it three times in the book of Acts, his testimony. Paul never forgot where he came from, believe me. But he never forgot where he came to. I have an apostleship of Paul. He was called by the risen Christ. <laughs> the Lord, of lords, the king of kings. The risen Christ. He was called by Him. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul recognizes where he came from. He says he was the least of all the apostles and not worthy to be an apostle. <laughs> Paul was not worthy? That's right. None of us are worthy but he calls us so can that he makes us worthy that's the right view anyway they a good way to get at the church is to start attacking the one who gave him the truth This is Paul attack his credentials he was not a member of the original 12 and of course that's what they're bringing forth they saying that he's a self-appointed apostle. Kind of a Johnny-come-lately kind of guy. And so they attack his character, his credentials, everything about Paul and what God had done with him. Uh, He never wavers. Stays right on with that. By the way, when Judas committed suicide shortly thereafter Peter recognized that there needed to be in place a twelfth apostle of course they wound up finding a guy this is why we don't have apostles today the apostles were for that particular era they had to see the risen Lord and walk among him and the other apostles to be qualified as an apostle an apostle does signs and wonders and miracles as it says in Second Corinthians chapter 12 and apostles wrote scripture this is why we don't have extra scriptures today some modern man saying well I uh, I've added to Revelation chapter 23 and I have other books that, that need to be put into the canon there are people that say that first of all, all the cults do that they add to it and take it away no that's it It was done. It was sealed. I'm glad of that. The apostles, it says in uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 3, that the church is built upon the apostles' teaching. You see that in Acts. There's a particular gift that was given to the apostles. They got direct revelation from God and wrote this down and we have it. We have everything that God wanted to be done. If they weren't apostles, like Mark, for instance, and uh, James, or Jude, back near the end, they were... Mark knew Peter very well. Of course, he got a lot of his story from him as he wrote it. So they were qualified in the sense that the apostles recognized what they wrote and it was true um, so that is why we have the canon that we do it is closed if it's not closed then we need to find out other books find out where they're at because we don't have the completed word of God but the Bible says and Revelation says this is it it was written in 90 AD John was the last of the apostles he lived uh, almost to be I uh, do oh, well, he's in his in the 90's so he could have been in 95 AD right so he, he too himself could have been 90 some odd years old but he was the last one of them and so that's important to know isn't it because there are people out there today in this city I know some of them who are that claim to be as apostles but Paul's, Paul gives the qualifications of those oh yeah really did you did you walk with Jesus did, did you walk and talk with him? Did you see the risen Lord after he was resurrected? You know, those things are really important. Do you do signs and wonders and miracles? What, what do you do? Do you, do you actually see where, where arms actually grow and extend back on? Where you know, they, they can't make the claim as an apostle because it says it's the foundation in Ephesians. That's important to know. The foundation. You don't need a foundation anymore, do we? That's what's the problem today. People are trying to add to the Constitution of America or change it. No, it's the foundation of this country. But the foundation is being blown away. Bombs attacking it. And it's being taken out chunk by chunk by chunk. It's been doing that for decades. If you don't have a foundation, then everything else is going to explode out. And now... It goes on something else, doesn't it? Something strange and foreign that was not originally there. And that's why there would be all sorts of people claiming to be apostles that they're writers. And I, I will tell you, they turn out to be very prideful people. The ones I have met and talked to. And they didn't represent Christ very well after it was all said and done. And when, when you'd ask them biblical questions, they had no knowledge scripture and say well what do you preach and they say when I come to the pulpit God gives me the message <laughs> he told us to study to show ourselves self prove what did the apostles do in Acts 6 what did they do they instead of them going out waiting on tables they were to devote themselves to the word of God and prayer if I don't come up if I just come up here and start winging it Tell you what in a few weeks you guys probably figure out this guy has not been studying. and if I come up here and if I've studied but if I haven't prayed you may not know that for a little while but all of a sudden the power of the word of God is not going to be there is it and that's why I say boy I hope you guys are praying for me whenever I deliver this too because this this stuff goes way beyond me you know It's not about us. This is about the creator of the universe. And he's given his holy written word so that we can sit here and try to take it apart to try to understand it better and what it's about. So there's a lot of people saying a lot of things out there. That same false teaching that Paul encountered back then, same thing today. Be careful when somebody tells you about an office they're in and they seem to be boasting about it. Let me tell you, God did not send them as apostles. We are sent, in another sense, in a small sense, we are little apostles, but not the apostles. We're sent to proclaim this, and nothing but this. This is what we proclaim, nothing else. We don't make anything else up. He says it was the will of God Not a church council, not a man, but God Himself told him this, where He is at. He was assaulted by God on the Damascus Road. God assaulted him. He, He really did. And then God brought him to faith, and He transformed his life. And He became a supreme gospel preacher. So He reasserts His own credentials. People must listen because He is God's representative. The Word that He has given to the people that's not written down yet at that time is the very Word of God as He teaches them. The Apostles' teaching later developed in written words. What about Timothy? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's the sovereignty of God right there, isn't it? And Timothy... Our brother, Timothy, is not an apostle. He's a brother in Christ, but he's not an apostle. He does some of the same things that Paul does. And Paul tells him to go to certain places and he preaches the Word there. But he's a cherished brother of Paul. And he has an important duty to deliver the Word. Uh, Paul wrote 13 epistles Timothy is mentioned in ten of them. Pretty important aspect that Timothy played. Matter of fact he appears in the greeting of six of the epistles. And two of them were written to him. First and second Timothy. So he says, Timothy's telling you hi. Grace. Timothy says grace peace to you. Uh We see Timothy arrive in Acts chapter 16, Derbe, Lystra is from that area. Very gifted, very capable, dedicated young man that he turns into. And Paul used him constantly. He's from a very godly family. He has his mother and grandmother, uh, very faithful. And he came from a Jewish Gentile background, which worked in his favor because he's going to Gentile places, and so therefore the the Gentiles identify with him. That's that's kind of a help out in being whatever you know you can be to the people in that customs and culture don't get in the way, basically. And and so he could do that. He went to Jews. He was very Jewish. So. Paul saw that he could really use this guy and Paul just poured his life into young Timothy. That's what we're to do. Find somebody that knows less than you do and make them know what you do. That takes time. It takes effort. Pour your whole life into them. Just keep giving them this and this and this coming out of the Word of God. Keep pouring it into them. Young Timothy. Says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Uh, I think um, chapter four, verse seventeen, chapter sixteen, ten, eleven. I think that was the first one. Uh, I'm going to send Timothy to check on you. You know, Timothy is going to bring remembrance in all the ways. He's a carbon copy. He's a duplicate of Paul. You could say he he believed the same thing Paul believed. When you have somebody come into the church and they believe the same thing that you believe, you say, glory, hallelujah. We're not the only ones. Of course we're not. We're all over the place. God has His people. His remnant everywhere, doesn't He? But there are certain people that just have their doctrines so good and they have a love for the Lord and you meet them and it's like within five seconds. You already know. There are certain people that you know they respect today, and they read and follow. First of all, you know what's the view of the Bible. They they have the same people that you read and listen to and whatever. And he say, I know where they're coming from. And there are certain things that they really watch out for. He say, Yeah, let me tell you about that. In Acts 18, you have the founding of the church at Corinth, and Timothy would have been there. Timothy from the very beginning and they knew Timothy Paul says Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God his sovereign will and Timothy our brother and they go good I'm going to finish on this and it's really uh, I, I can't spend any time on it to the church of God he's writing to the church of God He's writing to not just some kind of a human corporation, a human association with common type beliefs, but it's a community who share the common bonds of eternal life. Things that belong to God. The church belongs to God. Acts 20.28 said, God purchased it with His blood. He bought us. He bought us. He owns us. And he adds that this letter is is to benefit just not the church at Corinth, but with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. And I think we would also could say to all the saints down through the history of the church to present day, Mm -hmm. to us, this is written too, isn't it? So quite a benefit. Anyway, the Church of God was just Corinth, which is the saints, the holy ones. Saints! How are you saints doing? That doesn't belong to the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. And who they think is a saint, all the ones who believe in this book and trust Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, His atonement, are the saints. We are saints. We are the church, the called out ones. And so we will have to come back next week and finish the next two verses and maybe a little bit more after that and we're going to start talking about the God of all comfort. And what does that mean? It means a little bit more than the easy chair and the lazy boy. (sighs) And a nice, soft, comfortable bed with a nice pillow or two or three. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. You are a great God. Thank you for revealing a little bit to us in your scripture here today. We hope this is not just rhetoric or some kind of history lesson. But that we can see you in this the person of Christ and how you deal with the people you send out and what you send out what scripture thank you for this edification and may it help us as we continue on in this precious book that we would be developed into mature godly Christians as we go out of here Lord we take the good news of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ We have the good news of forgiveness of sins.
1: In your son's name, David.